So Romans chapter 10. Look with me from verse 8. But what saith it? The word is neither even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I think as simple as the passage is, if we were to begin to really delve in and unfold it all, what sweet treasures and riches we'd find in, uh, in, in seeking to dig deep and understand all the things that are meant behind these phrases and words and cross-references and cross-references and quotes even from the Old Testament. But the phrase I was referring to in saying the phrase that stood out to me that we're going to be focusing on was found in verse 12. It says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all, and this is it here, is rich unto all. Is rich unto all. And who's the all that he's talking about? All that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this, this phrase really stood out to me. This same Lord who is rich unto all. When you and I think about rich, uh, we naturally go to money. I think it's, it's a very natural thought that is connected with being rich. And, there, and it's not money in itself that is rich, but when we think of rich, we just think of someone who has a lot of money, generally speaking. Is that fair to say? And the concept is true, but it doesn't only relate to money. I think the word rich, or I believe the word rich simply by definition, yes, means wealthy, but it's not only just uh, talking about money, it can be talking about many things. It means to be increased with, to have a lot of. And when we think of someone who is rich, we think that they are not short in whatever it is we're saying they are rich with. And so here the scripture is bringing out this picture, this concept, this understanding that the Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. And so the book of Romans is, is, a, is a precious epistle. Um, some call it the statement of faith of Christians. It, it touches on so much and covers so many areas. But coming to this portion now, having established how Israel was set aside and they were set aside and there's a, part, a blindness in part that has been put upon them because they have rebelled and, and rejected the ways of their God. And so here the scripture is teaching us that because they rejected God and not only rejected God, they rejected Jesus when Jesus came. Now it's not to say uh, every single one of them did for you and I know that uh, the gospel began with the Jews and many believed on him. But it's speaking obviously in the, in the general majority that they had rejected Jesus. And this was the continual thing that the Jews were demonstrating and so, as uh, I guess like as Paul told him, well, seeing as you count yourselves unworthy of eternal life, lo, we go to the Gentiles. 
And so Paul here is establishing again, he's not saying I'm, I'm done with the Jews. He's not saying that at all. He established it as a, in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says, I, I, I wish, look at this, this burden that he has. Brethren, my heart's desire, he's, don't get him wrong. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This is, this is the burden uh, of his heart. He says, he says also that he, he would wish himself accursed if he could for the salvation of his brethren. Paul was not saying I'm done with the Jews and, and now I'm just going to focus on the Gentiles. But the truth and the calling that was upon Paul and the truth in Scripture that we find that because the Jews have rejected God in the way they did, it actually says that salvation, although it was foreknown by God, it tells us salvation has now come to the Gentiles. Salvation is offered to all, to all. And he's going on to establish this, that yes, this was them, but now salvation is for all. And this is what he's establishing, not only in Romans, the scriptures, especially in the New Testament, shows us and teaches us that salvation is for all, for whosoever. And to add this picture, how now that salvation is extended to all, it puts this phrase, this, this word picture in our mind, connecting this giving of it, saying that this Lord, this same Lord, the Lord that was over the Jews is also the Lord over the Greeks, Lord over the Gentiles. And he's saying that this same Lord is rich unto all that call upon him. You think God's grace is short or limited in some way that it is only sufficient for a select few or just for some and not all? The scripture is indicating to us that he is rich unto all, and that is the all reiterated in the next verse, whosoever that call upon the name of the Lord. The Lord is rich unto all, rich unto all. John Wesley said, uh, in reference to this uh, phrase or to, 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 these, to these words, he says, so that his blessings are never to be exhausted, nor is he ever constrained to hold his hand. Why? Because he's rich. God is rich. And so the two elements I want to I I look at in this, this, the Lord is rich unto all, is that is is in reference i believe when we look in the scriptures directs us more specifically even though it can refer to many things but i believe more specifically directs us towards his grace his grace that he is rich in grace and so we're going to look at two things concerning grace how he is rich unto all in reference to his grace and we're going to look at his grace to save and his grace to supply, continuing with this thought and idea of God is rich. God is rich. Look with me in Romans chapter 2, when he is directing now and establishing, yes, the, the how far gone man is because of their sin, even perhaps uh, focusing a lot on the Gentiles, but then he starts to focus even on the Jews and bringing them into the picture. And he says uh, in, in, in verse 3, thinking that because they were the Jews, they were somewhat excused more than the Gentiles, but they're not. They, like the Gentiles, have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so... <laughs> That's all right, brother. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. No, you're right. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> so um, the the grace that he's bringing us to is bringing now the attention, coming back again, saying that yes, the Gentiles are so far gone, and he focuses on their sin and how so far gone they are from God. But then he's saying to the Jews, "Hey, you be careful how highly you think of yourself, because just like they are sinners in need of a savior, so are you." And to to. In verse 3, he says, And thinkest thou this, O man, again, in, in, in addressing this mindset, 
that judgest them which do such things and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God. Now notice these words in verse 4. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? This is helping us to understand what is God rich in and what is this richness that is offered to all and this, this richness He presented to us that, uh, um, excuse me again, that his, his, his goodness and His forbearance and His long-suffering and the whole purpose that this goodness of God is to lead us to repentance, it's to lead you to repentance, O Jews. It's to lead the Gentiles to repentance. It's to lead all to repentance because God is rich unto all that call upon Him. Romans chapter 9, very interesting again how he's bringing out this element. Now I'm not going to go through and, and speak on the whole of the chapter obviously, but I want us to know again how God is bringing us to understand what is this richness that he's bringing us to. Verse 22, what if God willing to show his wrath and to make his power known endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Now look at verse uh, 23 and on, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. And now he, he if, if you don't quite get it, he, he kind of says, he kind of brings it here with clear understanding, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles, and as excuse me, as he saith also in O.C., I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which were not beloved. And it shall come to pass that in the place where it was said unto them, Yeah, not my people, there shall they be called the children of the living God, whether Jew, whether Gentile, God is rich unto all that call upon his name. And this is the ideas bringing about at the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the other nations other than Israel, the Jews were not known as the people of God. These were the ones that he's referring to that were not my people that shall become his people and that they too shall be called the children of God as a result of the richness of Christ that was offered and bestowed upon them. One commentator says concerning his rich to all, he says, The Jews need not grudge the coming in of the Gentiles. They shall not have the less, for God is able to enrich all. As the sun, though it every day give his light to everybody, yet neither hath it or we the less. So though thousands from one end of the earth to the other flock to the receiving of mercy, yet God hath store, and I love this, he says, and the fountain is above our thirst. Why? Because God is rich. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, focusing on how God is rich to save, this grace to save. Ephesians chapter 1. This speaking and connecting uh, a lot of the positional standing or, 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 or truths relating to the believers, but even how we entered into those blessings. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, in Christ. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of His grace, 
wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according, look at this, to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Drop to verse 12 as well. And I'm only doing this also for the sake of time, cutting out uh, bits and pieces. That we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye have <clears throat> heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. This receiving of the richness of His grace leads us that we should be in essence to the praise of His glory, alluding to the fact because we have trusted in Him, we have believed the gospel, we are saved and He has given to us the Spirit of God and will one day ultimately redeem us again unto the praise of His glory. Look at chapter 2 and verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show, look at this, the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in Him. This is the richness of God that is bestowed upon all who call upon Him, all who believe. It's the richness of His long-suffering. It's the richness of His forbearance. It's the richness of His goodness. It's the richness of His mercy. It's the richness of His grace that saves you and I that have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is rich unto all that call upon Him. One commentator, uh, again in, in comment concerning this, says so that His blessings are never to be exhausted nor is He ever unable or unwilling to bestow them on such as are prepared to receive them or that call upon Him. And I think of uh, John chapter 1, I believe verse 14, how it speaks of Jesus Christ uh, who is full of grace and truth. And coming back to Romans chapter 10, for the same Lord overall is rich unto all that call upon Him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Lord is rich. The Lord's supply of grace is full. And let me say even this concerning God's richness is unlimited and opened to whosoever that will come upon Him. And this floods our minds and hearts with all those invitations to whosoever will may come. And how God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Why? Because He is rich unto all that call upon Him. Because God wants to bestow upon Him the riches of, these gra of His grace, that they too would be saved. And that they too would become a glory and a praise unto Him. The Lord is rich, brothers and sisters. And that rich grace was bestowed upon us. 
And so this grace to save in light of the Lord is rich. But it's not only grace to save and grace to deliver. You think about what this salvation has done for us. You think about everything that, that also, that's connected with salvation that has been bestowed upon us because God is rich. Because of that richness that has been offered to us, the richness that has been poured upon us, you think about what salvation has brought. And we heard it in the blessings prior. It's delivered us, yes, from sin, from the power, the bondage of it. This is what Paul establishes also in, in the earlier chapters in Romans. What grace has done for us and what grace has done to us. Yes, it's delivered us uh, from, from the consequence of sin, but the very power of sin. Grace is a marvelous thing. Grace is not limited and grace is always going to be greater than all other things, especially our sin. I think where sin abounded, the Bible says grace did much more abound. You know why? God is rich. Amen. God is rich Amen. and is rich with grace. That was sweet. That was so comforting to me. That was so encouraging and that was something that just, you know, when you think on those thoughts that really uh, magnify God all the more and that really just stopped you to think on this element of God that we read and know and understand and believe. But when you stop to unfold it and meditate on this and thinking on the richness of God in this sense, this spiritual sense, that was a marvelous thing. God is rich brothers and sisters rich in grace to save but not just grace to save grace to supply all our needs all our needs all our needs i'll think of ephesians chapter 3 if you're still there in ephesians and there's a few things you don't have to turn to every one of them uh, with me but i just want to bring out these elements God is rich in grace, yes, to save, but to supply also. Ephesians chapter 3, I think verse 6, how it says that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof, look at this, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power, this alluding to the Spirit of God, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I, look at the grace He's talking about, should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ and so this grace that that Paul is talking about is this grace or ability to declare or preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, this richness of God, that God is rich unto all, but alluding to the fact here that this grace of supply, how God gives the grace we need to do what He has called us to do, that God is rich in this grace also. It's not only grace to save and that's where it ends. It's grace to supply our spiritual needs. It's grace to supply our, 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 our need for ability to do those things that God has called us to do. God is rich in grace to supply. In Romans 15, he says, Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as putting you in mind because of the grace 
that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. This is grace to supply what we need to do what God has called us to do and to be what God has called us to be as Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 uh, also talks about another grace. It's, it's a grace of giving. It's a grace of giving. And here, we can turn now, I can hear pages are turning over. And I can understand that we may know these, but we want to see it too. So I'm not going to rob you of that desire. Let's turn there, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> here he is talking about a bunch of Christians that, and, and this has always been a, a blessing to me. This has always been a conviction and a challenge to me when I read of the testimony and when I see the grace that was upon these Christians. And he says um, <clears throat> from verse 1, Moreover, brethren, we do you the wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. It's interesting how when we think of riches in this sense, it alludes to the spiritual element. Uh, for their, look at this, for to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty, begging them that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. This here, if you look into it, is reference to, they wanted to, it, it's in terms of monetary, it's in terms of supply. They wanted to give something uh, because they also wanted to be partakers and, and, and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. They wanted to be in part of this this, 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 this partnership, as it were, into the ministering of the saints. It says, and this they did not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desire Titus, that as he had begun, so he also would finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us. So this is an abounding in these things and we'll touch on these later as well. See that ye abound in this grace also. This grace of giving and, and, and just just again how, how he's, 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 he's showing here how, and let's, let's keep going in, in, in verse 8. And I speak not by commandment, by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through, excuse me, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be made rich. Again, Look at this example, follow after it. But he alludes to this giving that was demonstrated by these people of God as grace. This grace that was bestowed upon them. And he's saying, you abound in this grace also. There's a grace of giving. There's a grace to labor. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, we know this verse, for I am the least of the apostles, Paul says, that am not meant to be called an apostle. Why? Because I persecuted the church of God. And verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15 says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And by and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, I believe, alluding not only to salvation, but even beyond that, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so when we read of Paul and when we think of how did Paul do what he did, 
How did he go through what he went through? How did he endure what he endured? How did he continue the way he continued? How did he, after being stoned and dragged out, being left for dead, get back up and keep doing the things that God wanted him to do? Well, he wants everyone to know that it wasn't him. That it wasn't Paul. And Paul was a demonstration. And these, these things that we're reading in Romans and Ephesians were preserved for us by inspiration of the Holy Ghost through Paul the Apostle, who knows something of this grace, saying, it wasn't me. It was the grace of God. And God can supply this grace to you also. It was grace to labor. And so God is rich to bestow or to supply grace of this kind. It's grace to live holy lives. The grace of God, Titus 2 says, that bringeth salvation, that richness of grace that God is rich unto all that call upon Him. That same grace that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, but it doesn't stop there. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's grace that teaches us to live holy lives. It's grace given to us to be able to live holy lives. And this also I think of even in Romans chapter 6, when we think of, yes, grace uh, excuse me, our sin abounded, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But he smashes a foolish thought in, in, in connection with that. And he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? That grace doesn't teach me to continue in sin. That grace that I have tasted of, that grace that now I have tasted of and seen that the Lord is great, gracious. We could say that the Lord is rich unto all that call upon Him. That grace doesn't teach me to continue in sin that grace abounded. It teaches me to do Titus chapter 2. It teaches me to live a holy life. And it teaches me to keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. It teaches me to be looking for that blessed hope. What's he talking about? That glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is coming to redeem this purchased possession, brothers and sisters. What a blessed hope that is, that we're going to see our Savior and be with Him forevermore. Holy life living for eternity, having your affection set on things above, not on things of this earth. That's what grace does to us. It's grace to grow. It's also grace to grow. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 3. Again, being one of my favorite portions of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> From verse 14, Paul was wanting this Ephesian church, we already looked at again beginning Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8, that he wanted to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the Gentiles by the grace of God. And he goes on to say uh, in verse 10 also to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places, places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory. And he goes on this here. Let's, let's look at this here. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto Him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. For this cause I bow the knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says that He would grant you this. Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundant. Again, God who supplies at this grace we need to grow. Poor burden that the church would know and taste of this, this, this fullness of God that Paul had and Paul knew of and Paul has experienced that can be bestowed by God, the one, the giver of it. It's grace to grow. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. Touching a little bit more on God's supply of grace to grow, brothers and sisters. This obviously also, what, I, what I'm wanting to do in, in even talking about grace in growing. And I know what it seems that I am doing here. And this is why also I'm coming to 2 Peter chapter 1, which doesn't take away what I've been trying to do this whole time. Is show you where that grace comes from. That grace is not conjured up in and of ourselves. That grace is not conjured up of bringing ourselves purely under discipline alone to do those things that God has called us to do. It is something that God supplies us with, especially by His Spirit as we see and we're going to see towards the end. Second Peter chapter 1. Peter knew of this as well. Verse 1. Simon Peter, servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. And look what he brings it to here now. Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Through this, let grace and peace be multiplied unto you. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith a virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what he's saying here? You know when you grow in Christ, you know when you are growing in these things, and these things still, again, if you do uh, a, a study on these things, it is indicating to us to cooperate with God who wants to work these things in us. And this is the idea even behind the word add to your faith. It is something of cooperating with God who wants to work these things in us. It's not something, again, we work in and of ourselves. It's God that works in us these things and we are to add these things to our faith. We are to give all diligence in adding these things to our faith that we would be 
fruitful and not barren and not unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know why? Again, as Peter said it at the start, this is our grace and peace is multiplied unto you. It's growing in grace. It's growing in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thinking on grace to supply, brothers and sisters, you and I know that yes, that God supplies even our physical needs, no doubt about it. The psalmist tells us, God says it, recording for us in the psalmist, how he, he speaks about the cattle upon a thousand hills are his. Is he going to come to us for something that he needs? No, he owns the cattle. He, he owns, is there anything he doesn't own? And so it's not that his hand is short even in these things. And he goes on to say in Psalm 50, in that same, he says, Offer unto God thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver thee and thou shalt glorify me. There is a physical supply of, of God uh, uh, that God bestows upon us. You and I know this. Matthew chapter 6, again, uh, something for the Christians to really get a grasp of, the disciples of Jesus Christ. He says to us, take no thought, saying what, shall we, what sh we shall eat, what sh we shall drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek for your heavenly Father's knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Amen. You know why? Because our Father, or He says, your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before you ask Him. It's not to reduce that guy, God, excuse me, God supplies and is able and rich to supply our physical needs. But what we're focusing on and what we're bringing out and meditating on this morning is the spiritual needs, our spiritual necessities, that God is rich to supply this. It's of a spiritual nature. It's, it's something of an inward nature. It's not only something of temporal worth and temporal benefit, but something of eternal worth. Referring to our character, referring to Christ-likeness. And so I guess to use the words again in 2 Corinthians, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God, growing in the Lord. Let us go on to perfection. And in 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, to whom be glory both now and forever. Amen. It's not that God gives us just a measure of grace and that's it. He wants us to grow in that and He wants to give more. And we grow in that and He gives more. And we grow in that and He gives more. We often refer to this as spiritual growth. It's growing in grace. And God is rich to supply that grace and our need of that grace in those even particular areas. And so in conclusion and application, I want us to practically... Uh, think on how to now apply this or how to kind of summarize this. And the first thing I want us to see in this is that we must depend on the grace of God. We must be absolutely and utter dependent on the grace of God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This was a lesson that God was teaching Paul. And this is a lesson that is recorded for us to learn too, I believe, also. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe here we must receive many lessons, but at the very least understand that we are always and forever to depend on the grace of God in terms of grace to supply our need to do whatever He would have us to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul says this, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, 
the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Listen to how Paul is recognizing the purpose of what we're about to read and understand so much more is, okay, I know why that was allowed in my life or why this took place in my life. And he says here, amongst many things, he says in verse 8, For this thing, whatever it was, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, you and I have heard this so many times, my grace, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength, that grace strengthens. For my strength is made perfect or complete in weakness. In weakness. And so he says, Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And he doesn't just say that, he goes on to say, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities. So I've not only learnt what infirmities do, I, I also glory in my infirmities. That's what I glory in. I don't glory in my revelations. I don't glory in my ability. I glory in my infirmities. And I don't only in glory in them, I take pleasure in them. <laughs> I take pleasure in infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what I believe he's saying here? You know, in all those times, I didn't pray these things. I, I learned not to pray these things away or, or to despise these things. Or I have learned in all these things, Something about God's grace. Something about His grace that is sufficient for me. Something about that grace that took me to, uh, to, 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 to perhaps want to pray Him away, but now I glory in them. Now I appreciate them. Now I take pleasure in them because I have learnt something of God's supply of grace and His grace, I know He doesn't say it here, he, he says His grace is sufficient. You know what grace is, you know what He's saying here? It's enough. It's enough. You know why? He has a supply of grace from the God of all grace who is rich in grace. He is not limited in bestowing grace upon grace upon grace, upon grace to meet all our needs, to meet all our weaknesses. And especially in our times of weakness, especially in times of infirmities, especially in this thorn of the flesh that we have, whatever it is, whatever they are, there's something about grace that God wants us to learn every single time. Not to limit this and reduce this because I feel in our day and age we've become so apathetic with what we understand these things in, in, in our experiences. And I'll share it even as little and as insignificant as may be. I guess some of you know some of these physical infirmities that, 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 that I have and how they, that I, they limit me so much, I feel. They limit me in physical strength. They limit me in, in, in the capacity to think and process thoughts fully and effectively. Um, in, in whatever the reason of those things is, in, in whatever's taking place in this physical body of mine. And it just happened again yesterday, and it's happened for a few days in a row now, where I have felt so run down. I have felt so lethargic. I have so, felt so fuzzy in my head, struggling to put thoughts together, struggling to keep emotions together, uh, struggling to keep focused in doing those things that God wants me to do. And I very much feel like I don't want to do it. I just feel like I just want to go to bed and sleep, hoping it would go away. But I wake up and I find it still hasn't gone away every time I've tried it. 
And I remember to come before God in those times and say, God, I feel so tired of this. I feel so, I guess you and I probably can say this, I feel I'm, I'm over it. I'm over it. It's happened again and again and again. It's so constant. It's nonstop. These pains, these aches, these infirmities, this whatever it is. And it was coming up to going on outreach. And I said, God, please, I need grace. I need grace. And by His grace, He went out. And by His grace, yesterday was one of the biggest days of outreach we've, we've had in a very long time. And all I'm simply saying, brothers and sisters, grace to us, I don't know what we expect to see of it at times, but it's the kind of grace that when you look back at the day, perhaps, let alone maybe at the year or at the month or the week or whatever, you look back and you say, wow, Lord, I see what you did. Even through those times, you, have melt, you, you may have felt like, I just want to sleep. I just want to stop. I feel this, I feel that. But you look back and you think, wow, God gave me grace to labor. God gave me grace to endure. God gave me grace to continue. God, Because you know how I know God gave me those things? Because I was about to go to sleep and miss out on the whole day. And so I understand this is what I mean by sometimes we reduce what we struggle with at times to, to just what we read of in Scripture. But these are very real things. And God meets us where we're at. And He meets us in those struggles, in those infirmities, in those thorns, and whatever the case may be, to teach us something about His grace, that His grace is sufficient for us. Amen. That He is rich to supply our grace in the need of these things. And I think I've already labored uh, earlier about His grace that is offered and rich to all in saving those that would come to Him. Whosoever that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To Jew or to the Greek, it's God is rich unto all. I was speaking to a Muslim man yesterday. And he said to me, you're, he says, you're Lebanese. Why are you a Christian? Because it's generally understood that Arabs are Muslims. And he says, you're Lebanese. Why are you, why are you a Christian? I said, brother, I said, salvation is for Arabs and for everyone. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter what you are. Salvation is for all. Anyone that comes to God can and will be saved if they believe on Him with all their heart and call upon the name of the Lord. Christianity is for all. It's not just for Arabs. It's not just for the Jews. Not just for the Greeks. It's for all that call upon Him. It's not limited. You know why? God is rich. Amen. God is rich. And so not only must we be dependent on this grace, but you and I know that this dependence of, on His grace forces us to seek God for grace. For grace. Hebrews chapter 4. Turn with me there as we come to a close. And there's a few more passages of Scripture that I also want us to see in terms of even in a very biblical and practical way how God ministers this to the saints of God. Hebrews chapter 4. And, and Hebrews, you know, I want to be careful in saying this. Hebrews is almost a, a very specific, dedicated book in unfolding all those things that were given in the Old Testament, practices and sacrifices and so forth, and showing and demonstrating how these are all fulfilled in Christ Jesus. And, and anyway, one of the things it comes to in Hebrews chapter 4, and he says from verse 14 towards the end of the chapter there, and he says, Seeing then we, that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, signifying that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, 
but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. So he's saying, our high priest, Jesus Christ, you and I know he was tempted in all points. It's an interesting thing, all points, all points, as we are, yet without sin. And you and I believe this is alluding to the time where after the Lord Jesus Christ uh, was baptized and was led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God to be tempted of the devil 40 days in the wilderness. And I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe this is alluding uh, to those times and everything thereafter, obviously, where Christ was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. And so on this basis, he's saying, let us come boldly. Let us come boldly, and look at this, to the throne of grace. To the throne of grace. Given the theme of Hebrews, again, connecting all the Old Testament themes and practices and ordinances and showing how they are finished in Christ Jesus. Uh, one commentator said many of the rabbis taught that God had two thrones, whether they taught it literally, I think they taught it metaphorically. Uh, two thrones, a throne of justice and a throne of mercy. And, and he's saying here in Hebrews, he's saying these two thrones have become one and is called the throne of grace, where justice and mercy are satisfied in Jesus Christ and now we live by grace and that grace that is bestowed uh, from Jesus and through Jesus and this grace we are told to come boldly to obtain we are as told excuse me we are told to come boldly unto the throne of grace of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Very clear, in time of need. It's not just grace for the sake of it. It's grace in time of need. And we can even say it's grace right on time, every time. When we seek the God of all grace. Therefore, to use the words of Paul the Apostle, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Come unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. What are those things, brothers and sisters, that you and I feel like we're struggling or lacking in every time? Lord, I'm going through this test right now and I'm really struggling with it. God, you can see how I'm being absolutely hammered just because I want to live for you right now. And I'm really, I'm, I'm, I'm really finding it hard. Lord, you can see this thing that's plaguing me and it, I'm feeling so restricted and so overwhelmed by it. And Lord, you can see what's going on here and, and, and I'm really struggling with this, Lord, and I'm being overwhelmed. I feel like I'm so over this, Lord. And it goes on and on and on, brothers and sisters, does it not? Lord, you can see what these people are saying about me and Lord, I'm struggling with this because it's not true. And Lord, you can see what, what I've done and what I've been doing, but you can see what these people are, have, uh, are doing and saying I have done. And it's not, and, and, and the list can go on and on and on. Can it not, brothers? Can it not, sisters? It can go on and on and on. And these temptations or points of temptations that we face, we think God is so far removed from us that, oh yes, God can do all things and help, but we forget that he knows exactly what we're talking about. He knows exactly what we're talking about. Not just because he's the God of all knowledge, but he was tempted. Our high priest was tempted. You know that feeling that you felt? You know that, that feeling that you experienced because of the temptation that came? You know that test that came upon you? You know those temptations that have come upon you? 
Now, whether it, whether or not the uh, uh, the fullness of those feelings Christ uh, uh, experienced, I personally believe he did in terms of experiencing the temptation, in terms of understanding what that is. But not for a moment was it an option to give into it. Not for a moment did he did he thought, oh no, I'm struggling here. Not on that level. He just understands the temptations we face. As a matter of fact, it says he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of, Christ, uh, of God in him. And so it's not that Christ was being tempted in such a way that it was possible for him to give into it, not for a moment. He just knows what we are facing by experience, not just by knowledge. And so he's saying, go to him, come to me and seek him for grace. And I, I personally, I think everyone here can testify in some measure how I think every one of us in one form or another have faced such great temptations and trials of affliction because of the faith because of Christ's sake, because we made a decision to trust Jesus to be saved and we've made a decision to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And it was as if all hell broke loose. You know what God is saying? Come boldly to the throne of grace that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need lastly in light of this in the same connecting thought coming to god the dependence upon the grace of god that we need forces us to seek god for all grace for all things that we need for without him we can do nothing but turn you don't have to turn there but you can turn there actually turn with me to matthew chapter 7 and i want us to see something here in Matthew chapter 7, and just a few more verses in closing, and you don't have to turn to Luke chapter 11, which was a parallel passage, but I will get you to turn to at least one more verse after Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And he says this in verse 7. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? And to interject what the parallel passage Luke also adds, Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? And as we continue to read in verse 11 in our passage, If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask Him? And the parallel passage there in Luke says, if ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? And I think if we were to be safe in keeping these passages together, we see the ministration of our necessities are given to us or are supplied to us by the Spirit of God, which is given by God, the one that bestows all grace. You and I know 
that we have received the Spirit of God and He is the one that works in us when we think even in light of Ephesians chapter 3. Some believe that this is a bestowing from without and upon and others believe that this is a, a, a God working in us through the already in, uh, received Spirit of God. Whatever the case is, what we do see is this. It's by the Spirit of God that we have received to minister or do the things God has called us to do that God enables us to do those things He has called us to do and by Him He bestows us those needs, especially our need for the supply of grace. Especially our need for the supply of grace. Like we sung, the Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope secures. God has not just uh, given us that, 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 that grace that saved a wretch like us, that He's rich in this grace, but He's rich in the grace to also supply and to sp supply all our spiritual and even physical needs. You and I know this. And the last passage I want us to turn to is Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And one thing I do see also in demonstration of Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 11 and, and the giving of grace uh, that we see, we see it even demonstrated in Acts chapter 4, where God bestowed boldness upon the disciples after they had been threatened and persecuted, if you will, because they were preaching and teaching in Jesus' name. And so they sought God in prayer that He would do mighty works and, and, and wonders in the midst of the people and that they, He would give them boldness to declare the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we see there that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they went out and continued with the supply of God to do those things that God had appointed them to do. And so in closing, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And I hope you're growing in your understanding of this in this verse. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. And I know you're already there and I know you've probably already read it. And maybe you can keep reading it until I get there. And let's read it together in verse 19. Ready? And begin. But my God shall supply all your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Supply all your need. All your need. Brothers and sisters, all your need. According to His riches in glory. You know why? He's rich. He's rich. In Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.